We're in our message series on the life of Jesus. We're going through his whole time that he spent on the earth as a man in chronological order so that we can understand who he was for ourselves based on what he said himself. We want to see it for ourselves in his word. And the life of Jesus is documented in four books that are found in the Bible and together they're known as the Gospels. And today we're going to be in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. It's the night that Jesus is going to be arrested, the night before the day when he will be crucified on the cross, murdered, and placed in a tomb. He has finished enjoying his famous Last Supper with his closest group of friends, his disciples. It was a meal celebrating the feast known as Passover, and they've most likely now left the location of that meal, the upper room, and they're now walking down one side of the valley in Jerusalem, the Kidron Valley, across the creek at the bottom, and up the other side toward the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. And during their meal and their walk, Jesus is sharing some of his most important teachings with them, the things that he really wants them to know and understand. This is his last chance to pour into them, to invest in them before he is going to be arrested and then spend three days in the grave. So this is vital, vital stuff that he's sharing with them. Last time we were in this series, Jesus delivered one of the greatest mic drop lines in all of history when he told his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I love that. In other words, no matter what happens on earth, Jesus says, be encouraged, I'm going to have the last word. And he proceeded to build up their faith by talking to them about the eternal hope they have that nothing can take away, the reality that they, like us, will spend eternity with him in heaven. Nothing can change that. This week, as Jesus continues walking with his disciples, he does something extraordinary. He stops and he prays, and he allows the disciples to listen in on his personal prayer to his heavenly Father. Jesus is going to pray the real Lord's Prayer. And I say that because whenever we talk about the Lord's Prayer, we all immediately think of our Father who art in heaven, that whole thing right there. However, that was a prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples as a pattern that they could use when they prayed themselves. Jesus never prayed that prayer. He couldn't because Jesus couldn't pray, forgive us our trespasses, He hadn't committed any trespasses. He never sinned, so he didn't need to ask for forgiveness. But today and next week in John 17, we're going to hear the real Lord's Prayer, how Jesus prayed himself when he was praying to his heavenly Father. It's going to encourage us and give us some insight into the heart of Jesus, what he loves and cares about and what he wants for us. Can you imagine what you would learn if you could listen in on someone's personal prayers? Well, today we get to do just that with Jesus himself. So in these first five verses, Jesus is going to pray for himself. These are the verses we're going to look at today. Let's read it through, and then we'll go back and we'll break it down. Verse 1, John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Now underline the rest of verse 1. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. 
as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, underline that, and then underline, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, that means alongside yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. We're going to look at these verses a little bit out of order. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3 first, then we're really going to take a look at verses 1 and 4 for the majority of our study today. So let's look at verse 2 and 3 again. Verse 2 says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give, underline that word give, eternal life to as many as you have given him. Because Jesus would die for the entire human race across all of time, God the Father has given Jesus authority over the entire human race and the right to judge the entire human race. The Father knows and has always known which men and women will choose to receive Jesus as the God of their lives. And so out of that foreknowledge, armed with that foreknowledge, the Father gives these men and women to Jesus. It's a staggering thing to realize that you and I were given to Jesus as a gift to him from the Father. And if you're like me, you're thinking, "Uh, I thought the Father would give classier gifts, but I'm glad to be a part of it. It's a mind-blowing thing that if you belong to Jesus, you are a gift that was given to him by the Father. It's incredible. And while we don't know exactly how that works, we do know that Jesus gives the gift of eternal life to everyone the Father gives to him. The Holy Spirit draws that person to Jesus. Jesus saves them and places them in relationship with the Father. And I had you underline that word give where it says that he should give eternal life because we always want to remember that eternal life, salvation is not something we can earn. It is a gift that is given to us by Jesus. And I know this is ground level stuff, but it's so important to remember. So just write this down. It's your first fill in. Salvation can't be earned. It is a gift given by God. Salvation can't be earned. It is a gift given by God. In verse three, it says, and this is eternal life. Make sure you have underlined, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what do we mean when we talk about eternal life? What is it? Right here, Jesus boils it down to this. This is your second fill-in. Jesus says eternal life, what is it? This is what it is. Eternal life is being in relationship with God. Eternal life is being in relationship with God. And Jesus makes sure that God is defined to include both the Father and himself, the Son. Obviously, it includes the Holy Spirit, but Jesus made sure to name himself because he knew that he would be the dividing line on this issue. The beginning point of defining Christianity is the belief and recognition that Jesus is God. If we're not on the same page about that, we're not both Christians. That's the beginning point, the belief that Jesus is God. There's no eternal life without Jesus. It's that simple. 
because we cannot know the Father or have any type of relationship with him without Jesus. He's the only way. Now we're gonna jump back into verse one. The first thing Jesus prays to his Father is glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. And the very first thing we should notice is Jesus' attitude toward the cross. You see, Jesus didn't view the cross and his impending death as failure or defeat. He viewed it as something that was going to result in him being glorified, receiving glory, because that's exactly the way it would play out. In Philippians 2, it's on your outlines, the Apostle Paul tells us what happened as a result of Jesus obeying the Father and going to the cross. Not only what happened, but what will happen in the future as well. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, in other words, for that reason, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It happened exactly the way Jesus asked the Father to make it happen. The cross resulted in unparalleled glory being given to Jesus. And there's still more glory that's gonna be given to Jesus in the ages to come because of the cross. So write this down first of all. The cross was a triumph, not a tragedy. It was a triumph, not a tragedy. It's where our sin was paid for. It's where death was defeated. It's where Jesus won us peace with God and adoption into the family of God. It's where Satan took his best shot at Jesus and lost. It's where Jesus secured hope and joy and eternity for us with him. The cross was a triumph, not a tragedy. Completed in 1647, the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins famously by asking this question, What is the chief end of man? In other words, at the deepest, most foundational level, why do we exist? Why are we here? A question that anyone who genuinely cares about truth must be concerned with. It's a question that anyone who cares about the meaning of life has to care about. And the answer that's brilliantly given is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's probably one of the greatest quotes of all time. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the reason it's so powerful is because it's true. And we know it's true because that's how Jesus lived his life when he was on the earth as a man. We know from reading the gospels that Jesus took time every day at the beginning of his day, throughout his day, to connect with his heavenly father in prayer. That was Jesus enjoying his relationship with the father. It wasn't just some sort of Holy Spirit gas station fill-up thing where Jesus had to stay full so that he could keep running. It wasn't just that. He enjoyed his relationship with his heavenly Father. It was friendship. 
It was fellowship. It was the most meaningful relationship in Jesus' earthly life. Now look at verse one again. Jesus prays to the Father, glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. So Jesus is asking for something huge. He's praying that the Father would bring him glory as he goes to the cross. Jesus is literally saying, Father, would you bring attention to me? But what's the reason? What's the motivation behind Jesus' request? That he might be able to bring more glory and more attention to the Father. And Jesus is not dictating the terms of him receiving more attention. In fact, Jesus knows that the way he's going to receive that attention is by being murdered on a cross. And so Jesus is praying, Father, let my suffering and death bring as much attention to me as possible so that I can use it to bring as much attention to you as possible. So write this down. The motivation behind Jesus' personal prayer requests was bringing glory to the Father. The motivation behind Jesus' personal prayer requests was bringing glory to the Father. The reason we exist is to bring glory to God and to enjoy Him forever. Jesus understood that and He lived His life on earth based on that understanding. But specifically, that understanding, the understanding of why humans exist, why you and I exist, that understanding drove the way Jesus prayed because it drove the motivation of his prayers, his wants, and his desires. Let me explain. You know, it's true what they say. I am always on my mind. And when I pray, I naturally gravitate toward praying with myself at the center of my prayers. You may be shocked to learn that you're probably the same. Why do I want God to heal that relationship? Well, it's because I'm miserable with the way things are right now. Why do I want God to heal that sickness or that disease? Because I don't want to be in pain and discomfort anymore. Why do I want a new job or promotion? Because I don't enjoy my current job or I want to earn more money. Why do I want to earn more money? Because I want to have less financial stress on myself and be able to afford a, a more comfortable lifestyle. And none of those are bad things. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he understands that we have practical needs. In fact, he told us not to worry about our practical needs, not because they don't matter, but because your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. So I'm not saying practical needs don't matter. I'm not saying God doesn't care about our practical needs because he does. He's a loving and a good, good father. Someone should write a song about that. What I'm saying is that the model Jesus gives us and the message of the Bible is that we were created to care about the glory of God ahead of, above our own personal comfort. And that doesn't mean we don't pray for our personal needs. Rather, it means we pray from a different angle, with a different motivation. We pray for our marriages, not because we're saying, I don't want to be miserable, so change my spouse. We pray for our marriages because we want the world to see that a marriage centered on Jesus is the best kind of marriage you can have, and that brings glory to God. We pray for our children because we want the world to see that when we parent to please God ahead of our children, the result is children who grow up with purpose and maturity and bring glory to God. 
We pray for healing because we want God to be glorified by a miracle in our bodies and we would love to have that testimony to share with people in our lives who don't know Jesus. If we're praying for a different job or role at our place of work, it should be because we want to have more influence for God or more time with our family so that we can do family God's way. If we're praying for more money, it should be because we want those around us to see that God supernaturally takes care of his kids or so that we can give more. It's about praying with God's glory at the center of our prayers, and that's what Jesus did. Even when we reach, in the next couple of studies, Jesus' final agonizing prayer when he's alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's wondering aloud if there's any other way for us to be saved other than the death and pain he would go through on the cross and the separation from the Father that he would face. Even then, Jesus will place the Father at the center of his prayers as he says, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. How are you praying? What's the motivation behind your prayers? Are you at the center of your prayer life or is the glory of God at the center of your prayers? And by the way, I'm right there with you. I don't do a great job of that either. I need to do better. This is a great reminder. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now take a look at verse four. Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work which you have given me to do. And what that means, this is is profound. What that means is that all of the work that the Father gave Jesus to do on the earth had one ultimate purpose, to glorify the Father. And it also means that the way in which Jesus succeeded in glorifying the Father in his earthly life was by completing the work that the Father had given him to do. Here's what we learn from Jesus' example in prayer. Write this down. The secret to living a life that brings God glory is focusing on his agenda for our lives. And we're gonna unpack this in the next few moments. The secret to living a life that brings God glory is focusing on his agenda for our lives. When I say his agenda, I'm referring to the work that God has given each of us to do in our lives. And it's different for each of us. Do you understand that the world also has an agenda for your life? Do you understand that if Satan can't have your soul, if you belong to Jesus, his next priority becomes doing whatever it takes to stop you from being effective for Jesus, being effective as a believer. Now how does Satan do it? He does it by getting us to focus on anybody else's agenda for our lives other than God's. So Satan makes sure that the world is constantly bombarding you and I with the message, this other thing should be the agenda of your life. Material wealth, that car, that house, that vacation, that lifestyle, the world says, that should be your agenda. That should be what you work for. That's what you should pour your heart and soul into. That's what you should be researching online at night and dreaming about. That should be the agenda. Or you look at the world we live in and you realize sex runs the world right now. And they say that's what you should be chasing. Become a person that people are more sexually attracted to. That's what your mind should be thinking about. That's what you should be indulging in any way you want, any time you want. 
The world says the agenda for your life should be recognition. Getting the honor that you deserve. More likes on your Facebook page. More appreciation of your talents. A bigger, better title at work. Being respected for your artistic creativity. Or power. The world says, you know, the agenda for your life is you need to become your own boss so that you can be at the place where nobody tells you what to do. You can do what you want. Be in charge of your own life. Never have to work under anyone. That's what your life should be about chasing. Well, the world says it's all, it's all about your emotions. Just follow your heart. The most important thing is how you feel. That's the agenda. Pursue feeling happy at all costs. We could talk about the tragic irony that if you know anybody who lives that way, you know their life is a train wreck of ruined relationships. Why? Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, according to the Bible. And these are just a few of the messages the world sends our way all the time, saying, choose one of these other agendas. And behind all of them is Satan saying, I don't really care what agenda you choose. Any agenda you want other than God's agenda for your life. And if we're going to be serious about living for Jesus, about living lives that bring God glory, we have to recognize that we have an enemy that is constantly working to shift our focus from the work that God has given each of us to do. And if we're going to be serious about living for Jesus, we're going to need to be ruthless about getting those distractions out of our lives. So write this down. We're going to talk more about this. One of Satan's favorite strategies is to try and convince us that the work God has called us to is unimportant and insignificant. This is the flip side. Satan, who controls the world system, bombards us with messages that all these other agendas are glorious and wonderful and rewarding and will fulfill you, while at the same time doing everything he can to say the work that God has called you to, well, that's unimportant and insignificant. And I see this all the time in pop culture. Just think of the way that our culture portrays these things that God loves. Think of TV, think of movies, how God portrays things. Husbands, lazy morons. Wives, nagging, sexually unavailable, ball and chain. What's marriage in pop culture media? Well, the end of romance, right? A lifelong trap. Who are parents in pop culture? They're always the ones holding their kids back from being free. What's family? Well, it, it's lame. It's something to be escaped from. It's a duty. Sex, well just do it with lots of different people because there's no consequences according to media. And on and on and on I could go and it's not a coincidence that the culture seems to hate the things that God loves and especially the institutions that God has created. And it's not a coincidence that our culture works to convince us that the work God has called us to is unimportant and insignificant. And I find this very sad because this trend is even seeping into mainstream Christianity in North America. Because I can't tell you the number of books, blog posts, and social media content I see from Christians that's centered around this message. God has a great plan for your life. And you're thinking, that, that sounds okay, Jeff, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's 100% it's true. 
The problem is, even in Christian culture today, the examples that follow that statement, they happen to be very, very similar to what the world would consider to be great. So I look at the Christian media world that says God has a great plan for your life, and we say, well, what does great mean? And they proceed to give examples that look a whole lot like what the world thinks is great too. Well, God's plan is maybe to start an orphanage in Africa that saves hundreds of children. Start a business that thrives and rapidly expands into a multi-franchise enterprise. Travel the world and blog about how you see God at work in different cultures. Become the boss of your own company after being promoted in record time. All good things. All very similar to what the world would say is great. What I don't see are books, blog posts, and social media content that say, God has a great plan for your life. And underneath that headline is a picture of a husband listening to his wife talk about her day. Or a picture of a mom making her kids lunch. Or a picture of a family praying together. Or a picture of a dad taking out the trash or vacuuming the living room or somebody filling out forms at the desk where they work Monday to Friday, nine to five. And the message that sends is that those things aren't great or important. But there's a reason Jesus prayed, I've glorified you on the earth. I finished the work that you have given me to do. And Jesus prayed that because God is not glorified when we do the work that he hasn't given us to do. And God is not glorified by us doing somebody else's work. God is not glorified when we're checking off boxes on somebody else's agenda for our lives. God is glorified when we do the work that he has given us to do. So write this down. God is not glorified when we do somebody else's work. He's not glorified when we do somebody else's work. So I wanna ask you today, who has God given you to love? Who has God given you to raise? Who has God given you to invest in? Who's God called you to serve? What church has God called you to be a part of? The answers to those questions that work, that work is great. Why? Because it's the work that God has given you to do. And therefore, it's the only work you can do that's gonna bring God glory. There's no comparison between work that does and does not bring God glory. The work that does not bring God glory is meaningless. The work that God has given us to do the work that does bring him glory is great because there's no greater meaning or purpose or significance that anything we do could have than work that brings God glory. Write this down. This is huge. The work God has given me to do is the greatest work I could possibly be doing right now. The work God has given me to do is the greatest work I could possibly be doing right now. Do you realize that? 
Whatever God has called you to be doing at this moment in your life is the greatest work you could be doing right now. And you might think, well, what if I was in a jungle somewhere preaching to people who've never heard the gospel? Unless that's what God has specifically called you to do, that's not a greater work than what he has called you to do right now where you are. We look at things one way, very externally, but God looks in a completely different way. God is seeing everything. He's seeing the whole chessboard. He sees every person who has a role, a part to play, and he says, you you can't possibly understand the scope of what I'm doing. And so the greatest work you could be doing in your life right now is the work God has given you to do right now, the part he's given you to play right now. So be committed to that work. Be great at that work. Don't be easily distracted from that work. And this is for somebody here. Don't despise that work. Don't look at your life and think, why couldn't I be called to do something else? Don't think it's unimportant. God gave you that work. It's the most important work you could be doing right now. Nehemiah was a man called by God to lead the rebuilding of the ruined walls of Jerusalem. And many of you know the story. He faced obstacle after obstacle after obstacle because Satan wanted him to pursue any other agenda other than the work God had given him to do. And one day while Nehemiah was working on the walls, two of the bad guys who had it out for him, Sanballat and Geshem, sent him a message saying, hey, let's have a meeting in a nearby village and talk through our differences. Here's the thing, there's nothing to talk about. Nehemiah was crystal clear in his understanding of the work God had given him to do. So there's nothing to discuss. There was nothing to negotiate. The work Nehemiah was doing was ultimately about the glory of God. And so Nehemiah wrote this in the book that bears his name. It's on your outlines. He said, but they thought to do me harm. You See, he saw right through them. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a a what work? A great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. And if you read through the book of Nehemiah, you might think that the reason it was a great work was because it was the walls of Jerusalem, God's city, Zion, the holy city, I'm sure most people had that view. Maybe even Nehemiah did. But the truth is, the real reason it was a great work was because it was the work that God had given him to do, the work that God had called him to. That's what made it a great work. It wasn't ultimately about bricks and mortar and overcoming opposition. It was ultimately about the glory of God. And glory was given to God because Nehemiah did the work that God gave him to do. We gotta be like Nehemiah. We gotta be willing to say to the voices that try and distract us and call us away, there's nothing to discuss. I'm doing a great work. I'm doing the work God has given me to do. And I'm not looking to take a break from living a life that brings God glory. There's nothing to discuss. Whatever you gotta do, Get rid of the things in your life that are working hard to pull you away from the work that God has given you to do. If you've got a friend, a so-called friend, who's always asking you, why don't don't you leave your spouse? They don't appreciate you. 
where you've got a friend encouraging you to rather than follow God, just do what feels good. You deserve it, be happy. They're not your friend. They're a sand ballot, they're a Geshem. If you're consuming media, music, movies, podcasts, TV, blogs, whatever, that's pumping your soul full of the message that what God has called you to is unimportant, you need to get that stuff out of your life. The work is too important. Do whatever you gotta do to keep your focus on the work that God has given you to do in your life. I remember hearing Dave Ramsey speak one time on what he called the formula for success. And his idea was that uh, this was the formula for attaining success at a goal you had in life, be it business, education, health, or whatever. Here's what he said, I thought it was really good, I put it on your outlines. He said, focused effort over time equals success. Focused effort over time equals success. I like it because most of the time it's true. Sometimes we're good at the focused effort part, but we give up way, way, way too soon. Way too soon. Sometimes we're good at the time part. We're great at letting time part, but we're not really good at the focused effort thing as time is passing. Sometimes we're putting in lots of effort over time, but our efforts are totally unfocused. And sometimes we're focused over time, but we're not putting in enough effort. And if we wanna live lives that bring glory to God, it's gonna take focused effort over time, a lifetime, in fact. It's gonna require us understanding that we only have so much time and energy, and there's not enough of either for us to get distracted. Life is too short for us to do somebody else's work and pursue somebody else's agenda for our life. And here's the encouraging part. When you do give yourself to the work that God has given you over your lifetime, God will do more in you and through you than you could possibly imagine. He will impact the lives of more people than you will ever know until you reach heaven. God will use you to encourage people, to challenge people, to bless people. He'll use your life to bring him glory, but only, only, only if we stay focused on his agenda for our lives, on the work that he has given us to do. Focused effort on the work God has given you to do over a lifetime will result in the only measure of success that matters, bringing glory to God. When I stand before Jesus one day, he's not gonna applaud me if I say, well, Jesus, I did stuff that was a lot greater than other people. That was really my goal. I looked around, what are other people doing, and I tried to do better. He's not gonna applaud me if I say, you know, Jesus, I did stuff that impressed a whole bunch of people. All the things that they said were important, I did an amazing job at them. What I wanna be able to say to Jesus is, I've done my best to glorify you on the earth. I've done my best to finish the work which you have given me to do. And if I can say that with honesty, then Jesus will respond with, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I wanna live for that moment. I wanna give my life to work that's gonna result in that moment. We spent most of today talking about the work that God has called each of us to in this earthly life. And I just wanna remind you that None of this work is to earn God's blessing. 
or his favor or his love or our salvation. The good news for you and I is that the work that Jesus was called to was the work of earning salvation for you and I, rising from the dead and dying in our place. And when Jesus said, I have finished the work, it means there's nothing we can add to it. The work that you and I are called to is bringing glory to God and enjoying him and living the life that he has called each of us to live as individuals. And that work isn't meant to be powered by our willpower. As we learned back in John 15, our power to do the work that God has called us to comes from our relationship with Jesus, from abiding in him, staying close to him, and living in that place of intimacy with Jesus. So don't get confused when we use the word work Yes, there's work to be done, but it's not work that we do in our own strength, by our own efforts. It's work we can only do in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we only gain that by abiding in our relationship with Jesus. Don't forget that. It's the key to everything in the Christian life. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Well, I hope you can see that I really believe there's enough in just these first five verses for us to chew on for this week, and my prayer is that we'll take it in, that we'll take it to heart, that we'll be encouraged and strengthened by the reality that Jesus has called each of us to a great work, a great work. And the reason it's great is not because of what anybody else thinks when they look at our lives. The reason it's a great work is because it's the work that God has given us. And it's the only work that we could be doing that will bring him glory. There's no greater motivation, there's no greater purpose, there's no greater meaning to anything than the glory of God. So I was thinking, what should we reflect on in this coming time of worship we're gonna have in just a few minutes? What should we meditate on this coming week? And I wanna encourage you now or later in this week to spend some time writing down the things that you know for sure God has called you to the work that you know God has called you to in your life, your marriage, your kids, your church, your job. And if there are things in your life that you're not sure God has called you to, then spend some time asking him to give you clarity on those things. I'm gonna add this caveat. Spend time in the word and make sure that what you're hearing from God lines up with the word so that you can know you're actually hearing from God. But ask him. Ask him and be honest because there might be things that you know God's called you to, but you don't feel very called to those things right now. Ask God to remind you because there's some of us in here that really need to hear about some things in our life from God. That's work that I have called you to. Some of us are, are frustrated and confused because we've been wanting to hear that from other people. We've been wanting other people to tell us what you're doing is important. I see what you're doing and it's really significant. But it's not other people that we need to hear from. It's the Lord that we need to hear from. And one word from the Lord saying, I've called you to that, to them, to him, to her. I've called you to that. Changes everything. It changes everything. So be honest with God. Ask Him for clarity. Ask Him for clarity. Get that list sorted out and then spend some time with the Lord in prayer around this question God, are there things in my life that are stopping me 
giving focused effort to the work that I know you've called me to do. And give the Lord some room to speak to you. Allow him to reveal to you if there might be something in your life that, that needs to be trimmed so that you can be more focused on the work that's gonna bring glory to God. And then spend some time, this is the last point, spend some time asking the Lord to empower you by his spirit to be great at the work that he's called you to. Why? That God might be glorified. Say, God, I wanna be great at the things that you've called me to do so that you receive the most glory possible from my life. With that, let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and let me pray for all of us. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to listen in on your son Jesus as he prayed and shared his heart with you. What an example he is. And we recognize and just acknowledge, first of all, that you are so worthy of being at the center of our prayers and of our life. And we acknowledge and recognize that the most meaningful life we could have is a life lived for your glory. The most fulfilling and rewarding life we could have is one lived for your glory. And so Father, I ask that by the power of your spirit, you would begin to speak to each of us about the work that you have called each of us to do. Lord, where there is doubt and difficulty, but you've called us to something, would you speak encouragement and affirmation in the name of Jesus? Lord, where there is certainty of the knowledge that you've called us to a work, would you build that up even more strongly? And Lord, where there feels like there's a lack of power to be great at something you've called us to, would you fill us with the power of your spirit? For those who may feel like they've given up or they just can't do it or just can't go on, would you bring fresh power and strength in the name of Jesus? to bring you glory in that area of their lives. And above all, God, may you be glorified in us. May we not let a day pass without enjoying you and bringing you glory. Everything else is meaningless. You're everything. You're everything. Be glorified in our lives, Lord. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. 
If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.